couple of announcements. Um, our next regular session will be held here next Thursday, October 20th. The topic is A Voyage Through the Northwest Passage. Our speaker is Michael Byers and moderated by Mary Shillington. Um, that title doesn't really grab it. He's uh, a research scientist who's had an awful lot to do with the Arctic. So just have that in the back of your mind. You want to read more, it's on the website. The week after that is um, a rather important topic at the end of harvest. Should the Canadian Wheat Board's future be decided by farmers? So that's the, that's the question, and the session is on um, October 27th. You don't have to answer that question today. Our speaker is Stuart Wells and moderated by Ed Bardock. Um, as you're likely all aware, our upcoming sessions are on the website, uh, sacpa.ca. The audio archives are on our website and make it possible for you to listen to previous topics. And, uh, Canoe, do we have the ability to look at his, um, his power presentation? That will be up on the website? You will be providing your PowerPoint, right? Because a couple of people said at question period that you were going through information that was new to them and went quickly through some of that. So if you want to see it again and you look at his slides, you can go on the website and take it as slow as you want, one slide at a time. We thank you for using our suggestion box found outside in the lobby for new ideas or complaints. And now we're going to welcome... Chris, back to the microphone, and just remind you our usual process for asking questions. Our, our topic this afternoon is, fallac is fallacies about birds, bats, and the breeze. What are the real facts of wind power? Speaker is Chris Hodgins. Um, when you come to that microphone for a question, Henning is already coming up, and he's going to tell you his name is Henning because he's always good at that. You're supposed to give your name before you ask a question, right, Henning? Very well. And then... Follow his example. He'll just ask one question without a huge introduction. And you know the drill, so just follow Henning, and he'll teach you how to do it if you're new. And no questions from the floor, because then the people at home who listen to it on SACPA website uh, can't hear what your question is, because it won't be recorded. Um, and near 1.30, I'll indicate that we've only got one more question left, so away we go. Henning. In order to not be redundant. I shan't say my name. <laughs> I just gave your first name. I'll give my last name, Mundel. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Hello. Um, a fascinating presentation, a fascinating uh, debunking of myths with good data. I have a question about uh, having been very interested in what's happening with wind energy, very I interested in the technology program coming to the college. And uh, part of your uh, presentation, you referred to the uh, construction and production of uh, wind turbines in Ontario. Um, are there any plans for Alberta for actually manufacturing uh, wind turbines here? And where do most of them come from now? <clears throat> Okay, so great question. Uh, this takes me back to my economic development days when I was with Economic Development Lethbridge, uh, working to attract investment for renewable energy. And we found it was an incredible challenge in Alberta to try to increase our supply and value chain because there was no incentives at the provincial level uh, versus uh, municipalities or, or provinces like Ontario <clears throat> where they have substantial 
incentives like the feed-in tariff system, or in the states where they, again, have substantial incentives to encourage manufacturers to set up. Vestas, one of the major wind companies, uh, is kind of the, the birth of wind energy, uh, comes from Denmark. I was fortunate enough to see some of those offshore wind turbines when I was 11, but uh, they set up a manufacturing facility in Colorado within the last two years. And again, it has a lot to do with incentives. And uh, that's, that's why I'm very excited. Uh, hopefully, Alison Redford sticks to what she mentioned in her letter back to me, that she'll actually make Alberta a leader in renewable energy. So hopefully that comes with some incentives. But for a lot of the manufacturing um, that, that is a big sway factor, and that's why Samsung came to Ontario. Um, General Electric is in the Gaspé area in Quebec. Uh, again, it has a lot to do with the domestic content. Some people don't like it, and General Electric has actually come out recently in the public saying that they're not happy with the domestic content rules in Ontario and Quebec, even though they've played by those rules for the last five years. So, yeah, I, I hope that answers your question enough if there's... Any other? Are they all from Denmark now? Or? Uh, Enercon is a company from Germany. Siemens is also from Germany. Uh, General Electric from the United States. Uh, Axiona from Spain. Um, those are some of the major players. Um, Gamesa is also Spain. Uh, Suzlan is from India. So those are, those are some of the major players. Um, but yeah, uh, really looking to see if the, if the manufacturing base could improve here in, in the region. And uh, Bev Thornton, out in the Pincher Creek area, economic developer for Alberta Southwest, she's done an extensive supply chain document, and I'm very curious about seeing that document when it's released because she's been working on that for, for the last, uh, I guess, year with some uh, uh, consultants. So I'm very excited to see that piece when it comes out. But companies like... Um, Fastenal here in the area are, are providing uh, parts and services. Um, I guess it would be parts to to the wind turbines. And, and there's actually a lot of residual companies. DA Electric is doing some great work as far as trenching, uh, putting the cables in. Um, and there's, there's other companies here locally that are actually helping out considerably when uh, gearboxes and things like that from the wind turbines need to be uh, retooled. So... But yeah, would would really like to see incentives come here in the province. The last part, just before Mark starts, the last part of your of um, this question asked, uh, where do we get the wind turbines now? Like, if we're going to put new ones up at Carmen Gay, where are they going to come from? Those uh, they they have chosen Vestas to supply that project. So that's the project known as uh, Black Spring Ridge. That's that 300 megawatt project by Carmen Gay and Vulcan. They've chosen Festus to be the supplier of those wind turbines. So those blades will be coming from Colorado. Those towers will likely be coming from Hitachi in Saskatoon. Um, and then the other parts, uh, like the gearbox and things like that, will probably come from across the states. So, uh, Tom has uh, preempted the question asker again. Uh, my last name is Sandy Lance. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> so just a footnote to the, the uh, discussion just completed. Uh, I recall about 15 years ago, the people in Pincher Creek uh, pushed quite uh, hard to get the provincial government to give some kind of subsidy for a wind uh, turbine manufacturing facility in the Pincher Creek area without success. 
unfortunately. And now we're importing them from everywhere else. Vestas was actually courting Alberta, and we're very interested in setting something up in Alberta, but Alberta just kind of went... Right. So. My question is, uh, and it's a lob, um, you mentioned feed-in tariff several times. Yeah. Can you explain exactly what a feed-in tariff is, how it works, why the number is so high, and what the numbers are in various places in the world, the, the number of cents per kilowatt hour that, that, that people receive. Hopefully and I got what, this right. What, yeah. what they are in various places in various jurisdictions. Okay. In Ontario, that's, that's the one uh, region I'm very familiar with. Uh, the feed-in tariff system locks in the price of energy for 20 years um, and provides a guarantee for a developer to have uh, the amount of energy they're producing, they, they get 13 cents per kilowatt of energy produced. For offshore, they were going to be offering 19 cents per kilowatt hour of energy produced. So right now, Ontario has put their offshore program on hold. Uh, they they want to do further environmental studies, but there was there's great opportunity to do a lot of offshore wind farms in the in the Great Lakes, but uh, they're they're stepping back from that right now. BC may be doing some offshore wind um, uh, by the Queen Charlotte's, so that's that's some of the stuff that's happening. So that's that's the kind of the feed and tariff system in a nutshell. Does that kind of explain it well enough, or? So the question for those who are not getting your question is the uh, the builders, what are they getting? Is that the quick question? Why do they get more? That's, yeah, basically um, the companies are getting that, that offset in electricity um, to encourage them to set up those wind farms. And so they're getting that 13 cents per kilowatt hour in Ontario for their projects if they meet the criteria of the feed-in tariff, which requires that the domestic content right now uh, in Ontario it's at 25%, and it'll be ramping up to 50%. So from the geotechnical, when you're starting your wind farm and doing the construction phase, all the way through to the build and sourcing all the parts, Ontario's demanding that 25% of everything to do with that wind farm comes from Ontario. Uh, and in Quebec, it's 50%. So very aggressive domestic content rules. <clears throat> My name is Frances Schultz. Thank you so much for your presentation. One of the things that concerns me is that we have a number of different sources of energy, whether it's solar, whether it's wind, whether it's hydro, etc. And I would like to know, in Alberta, is there a concerted effort being made to link these together so that Instead of when the wind doesn't blow, we lose that and there isn't a replacement. Mm -hmm. what we, what's going on? Because with deregulation, we've become a free-for-all here. And I'd like to know if there's some work being done mm -hmm. to coordinate yeah. all of the sources. It's interesting that you mentioned deregulation because Alberta, obviously a deregulated market, so is Germany. 
but they have an extensional feed-in tariff system program there that's working. And the province right now has not chosen to take a look at feed-in tariff systems in Alberta. Not sure the reasoning behind that. But uh, so it, that was very encouraging to hear when Christine Worland came from Germany to speak about the work that she's doing. And you're talking about the variability. So I brought this slide up again. Wind works really well with hydro. So again, when the wind is not blowing, another great opportunity to make sure that constant electricity source is going. Um, obviously, uh, that, that can be offset. So in the, in the winter months, that's when the wind is blowing the strongest. In the summer months, the wind dies down. But then again, you have the water and hydro opportunities uh, with their spring runoff and some great opportunities to capture that so you have a constant source of power so you're not looking to coal, you're not looking to natural gas or, or oil and gas sector. So those are, those are some options uh, for the variability end of things. And then they also have the forecasting software that is really helping with the variability, and they can actually look out ahead and predict how much those wind farms are producing. And if you are really adept at your Google searches, the Alberta Electric Systems Operator actually has a website where you can look at how much wind or how much energy is being produced by all energy sources in the province right now at any given minute. And you can look at that. You can see at the total potential for a wind farm and what it's producing at that time. You can see uh, how much the natural gas and, and other plants are, are operating in hydro and run a river projects. But that's a, that's a really neat website to check out. So. Yeah, solar. So uh, during the lunch, I was talking about uh, off-the-grid project in, in Cowley Ridge. There's a couple uh, people in this in this area in southern Alberta who have off-the-grid homes, which is very exciting. Um, I visited one where a gentleman had uh, built a brand-new house. He had flat-screen television, all the toys and things like that. He had solar panels set up. He also had a small wind turbine set up on his property, and he had a bank of eight batteries in a shed uh, that he could capture that energy when he wasn't using it. He actually didn't need to turn on his small wind turbine because he was generating enough electricity with his solar panels alone. So um, Medicine Hat is doing some great things uh, with solar, uh, very exciting, and it really helps when you have a natural gas plant because <laughs> you can create some great incentives. And they're, So they, they didn't look to the province. They said, let's take it upon ourselves. And, and let's create some incentives for our residents. Uh, and so people are able to buy some more energy-efficient appliances. They're able to adopt solar more readily. Uh, if you've heard of the NMAX program, it's very exciting what they're doing. I, I didn't mention this before, but it's very important to note. Um, they re received uh, funding from uh, climate change. CCEMC is the acronym, but... Uh, they received funding, and what they're doing now is they're ha wanting to roll out 700 small wind turbine systems and 2,000 small solar systems across Alberta. So that's why in the new year we'll be offering the small wind and solar installation classes to really meet the demands of industry like NMAX um, because what they're doing is very, um, very forward-thinking because a small wind or a small solar system costs about $20,000. So NMAX is offering the opportunity for residents to pay a, either $1,500, $2,500, or $3,500 down payment on that system, and then every month they pay a rental fee to the tune of approximately $50. So after 10 to 15 years, you own that system, and, and then you're producing energy. So it's a, a very, very great way... Uh, 
attractive way to to embrace more renewable energy at the residential scale. So our goal with the International Wind Energy Academy is to really educate the landowner and and rancher and anybody else, any residential customer, about the opportunities to adopt one of those systems on their homes. And um, what's exciting, uh, Alberta Agriculture... Uh, we'll be providing some interesting incentives here in the near future. So stay tuned for that, for sm- uh, solar and wind uh, at the residential scale. So uh, we're also taking a keen look at, at how they're crafting those incentives. But uh, that should be rolling out here in the near future. And they've actually started to tell farmers and ranchers about that program just so they're gearing up and ready for that. So if you want to know more, again, attend our sessions in the fall where we'll actually tell you the steps to put a small wind or solar project on your property. Chris, thank you for being here. Uh, Terry Shellington is my name. Uh, two quick questions before I get to the real question. The, the phrase, uh, first of all, that you and Mark were using, I didn't quite catch it, but is it fee and tariff? Feed, like feeding. So feed in tariff system, yeah. Okay. F-I-T is the acronym. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, secondly, just to clarify, because we had discussion at our table, when you say that... Um, Farmers receive $15,000 per turbine. Yes. You mean per year, do they? Per year, per turbine. So they get that annually? Yes. Okay. My real question before Tom shuts me down here is um, around the funding for your program. Yeah. Uh, and I'm curious as to whether that is provincial or federal funding. That is, yeah, that was, um, what is it? I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether the yeah. provincial government has an investment in this and if, if that's an expression of provincial interest or if it's coming from elsewhere. Yeah, so it's a rural Alberta development funding program. So one-time funding, we're stretching it to 2013 to build wind energy capacity in southern Alberta. Would, there be, uh, would you know, would there be other provincial investments in wind energy or uh, is, is that the extent of it and how does that compare to, well, you don't even want to say how it compares to the investment in the oil industry, but I have a hunch. Yeah, so, okay. Okay, <laughs> um, can you... I, I kind of lost you well, then. Well, I'm, I'm, Quickly just recap that. I'm trying to gauge what, how much provincial money is going into the... Yeah, wind, okay, the okay, so incentives. So... Um, uh, nothing right now at the provincial level. Um, we may see something in the near future. I've been working with the Department of Energy, especially when I was with uh, Economic Development Lethbridge, um, a couple individuals who I know are actually working on that framework. It's called the Renewable Energy Framework, and they look to be consulting with the public on that program in the near future. So very curious of what kind of details they're, they're rolling out with that. Right now, the province has been very focused on biofuels. So you've seen the success of companies like Kyoto Fuels, ECB Enviro, and uh, hopefully B fuels here. So um, those are some local projects that uh, definitely the province has been very interested and focused on for incentives and investment. So hopefully they can uh, carry that over into the wind and other renewable energy sectors. So. Uh, congratulations on this fantastic information. Thank you. Uh, sir. Uh, there's one factor that's been over, overlooked. Still, one of the greatest sources of energy is coal. And surely, to God, we've been to the moon. We can develop a techniques to purify the exhaust. And speaking as an ex-miner with wounds for the rest of my life, the famous geologists that we pay for an education still haven't told the public of the total destruction of the coal fields. 
the horizontal drilling fracking, and yes. fracking yeah. is totally destroying the, the success of trying to get coal at all because the highest cost of coal mining is trying to keep up the trillions of tons of overworked coal shale or rock shale, what have you, okay? We are not told that just to cover up for the so-called economics of, 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 of fracking and obtain the gas. Now, my question is, what is the difference in cost to initiate, build, and versus the cost uh, gained, profits gained from uh, solar against wind energy? There's got to be some gain something. We're way behind Europe on solar, certainly. So what's Frank, the difference in cost of putting it in and the, the eventual gain from it? Frank, can I just ask you to sharpen your question a bit because you did start to ask about coal and then you ended up with no, wind versus I solar? I didn't ask. I stated a statement ah, that's okay. been Thank overlooked. You. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right, so your question is the last one about uh, solar versus wind and the cost. Cost and maintenance. Cost and maintenance. Thank you. Thank you. I, I can't speak to those exact figures, but uh, again, um, just going back to one of my slides, the um, wind energy is actually more affordable than producing. So you have your wind farm, call it an energy plant. It would be more affordable or attainable because of the life of that plant. Uh, the wind farm would last 25 years. Your energy would not cost anything after your install of $6.6 .6 million per wind turbine. So, um, and those wind turbines are paying themselves off in six to seven years. So those are some of the figures I can speak to. But um, So it, it is more affordable to set up a wind farm versus a coal plant or a nuclear plant um, based, based on those payback figures of industrial wind turbines. So, um, But yeah, uh, if I could find a great figure that would demonstrate that, uh, I'd, I'd love to share that with you. And if I find something, I could get back to you. But I can't speak to those figures. My name is Lawrence Hoy, and um, I compliment you on your presentation. Uh, I agree with a great deal of what you say, but I think that before anybody gets carried away and it gets as excited as you are about <laughs> wind, keep in mind that there are a lot of people here, I think, that are thinking in terms of solar and wind for their homes, Mm -hmm. But that only constitutes about 16% of the total electrical demand. D depends the, on the your... industry yeah. wants a whole bunch more power, yeah. and they want it reliably available all the time. Right. Now, my question has to do with all of these tariffs that are being prov uh, provided to the wind industry. It's a mature industry. It employs tens of thousands of people in Denmark... Germany, U.S. Yeah, it's a mature industry, especially in Europe, but it's still in its infancy in Canada. Well, that could well be, but the problem is why should we be paying these subsidies to what is basically a mature industry? Well, it, luckily it, we're not living in Ontario. <laughs> well, yeah, Taxpayers I mean, in Ontario it, it, are, but what, for sure. What Ontario is paying to the industry is just ridiculous. Yeah. Well, uh, it's about double what it costs to generate power in Alberta. That's the subsidy. And my question is, 
those subsidies are coming out of our pockets. Mm-hmm. Why should we be paying subsidies to a mature industry to come here? These, after we've covered the whole landscape with, with <laughs> wind turbines, there aren't going to be any more manufacturing jobs except perhaps renewing these things after 25 years, and undoubtedly we'll get the whole parade about um, subsidies again. So I'm not trying to pour sure. cold water on it. No, I, I hear you. Say, For sure. let's be reasonable about it. Yeah. Well, um, the incentives yeah, in Ontario are planned that they'll tail off. It's, it's all about ramping up and what happened with the auto sector and, and response to that. McGinty, uh, Premier McGinty, um, saw it as a great opportunity to, to really be a leader in renewable energy. So he right away created this incentive, this feed-in tariff system, where it allowed uh, the manufacturing employees to look to another sector where they could turn a lot of their auto manufacturing plants over to the wind sector. And again, the the industry is very uh, young in Canada. In Europe, it is very mature, for sure, and it's been going on for many, many years. Um, Our first wind turbine here in Canada was back in Cowley Ridge in the 90s. So um, I, I think... There seems to be a great grassroots push towards more renewable energy and energy conservation uh, in, in all aspects of life. And because of that, um, I, I think a lot of people would appreciate having a wind turbine next to their home versus a nuclear or coal plant because they're not going to get asthma from nuclear or coal or oil and gas or, or any residual health effects. Um, wind is... It doesn't cost any water. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't pollute the air. So you have to think of how you want your children or your grandchildren. What kind of world do you want them to live in? Do you want to have black clouds above above cities and and the smog, or do you want to be looking at the next venture forward of of what's the next wave of of energy where we can rely on? And if the reliability is not there at the industrial scale. There's an opportunity for residential customers to get off the grid on their farms and ranches. So that way they're not relying on the power grid. And, and that way when there's the massive blackouts like we saw in eastern Canada within the last few years, they're still rolling. So, Chris, we have just three minutes left. So we have two speakers lined up. If you could take a minute and a half each. So Mark Gettle's my name. About 15 years or so ago, if you drove towards uh, Crow's Nest Pass, you would have passed the demonstration or research site that had these egg beater type turbines. And at the time, they're supposed to be more efficient and better and uh, use less or need less wind, etc. Whatever happened to this technology? There's a a great entrepreneur. I just met with him again last week in Vancouver out of Saskatchewan. Mooseman, Saskatchewan, if anybody knows that community. But uh, the company's called V-Bine Energy, and he's created a vertical axis turbine. So um, very excited about uh, that. And, And he has uh, turbines installed across the globe. He's looked in South America and he has some in Europe and he's really interested in, in starting to develop and, and install them here in southern Alberta. So there could be an opportunity for us to actually have one of those turbines at the Birds of Prey Centre um, and, and see what happens. But yeah, it's it, vertical or horizontal, depending on the type of wind turbine. It depends on the technology. It depends on the manufacturer. Um, Skystream is a company out of Arizona. They have a horizontal wind turbine where uh, NMAX helped to put one of those wind turbines that's about 25 feet tall right in the middle of a children's playground in downtown Calgary. 
uh, Olympic Heights School. So they have great faith in that machine uh, for any catastrophic failures. Uh, but that's a, a small-scale wind turbine that, that they trust, uh, and, and that's very robust. And so NMAX is, is looking at rolling out that SkyStream in its program. So, Chris, we have one minute left for this last question, so speed it up as best you can. Okay. Thank you. My name is Marsha, and my question is, why, why don't you include the, the power, the transmission lines in your presentation? Because those... <laughs> have known to cause cancer and those have oh. known to to damage the land and and to cause bird fatalities mm-hmm. and whatnot so why not put it all together and and do an overview of everything that's going on with with the whole wind turbine farms? sure no that's that's a good point for sure when uh you need wind power you need transmission lines so you can't have one without the other for sure so at least in the industrial scale of things um and and that that with the transmission builds, there has been no transmission lines that have been constructed in the last 20 years. So this recent line that came in from Pincher Creek to Lethbridge, that 240 kV line, um, that's that's an opportunity to bring more uh, wind power online. But for sure, that's that's part of the equation with wind. So um, you need to carry your electricity somehow, no matter what kind of energy source it is. Transmission lines are the ones that carry that energy, depending on what type it is. Unless we come up with a better system, that's all we got at this point in time. Um, but, but yeah, for sure, that's, that's definitely part of the equation. Thank you very much, Chris, for coming. Would you all join me in thanking him?